Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure to be here with Santa Barbara County First District Supervisor Doss Williams. And Doss's story is an incredible story, you know, growing up in Isla Vista and just working in the Assembly, City Council, Board of Supervisors, just doing so much with um, all of these opportunities. And uh, it's just going to be really fun to talk to you today. How are you, Doss? I'm doing great. We're got, getting a lot done at the board uh, this week, so it, it feels like a good week. Yeah. Well, great, great, Doss. Um, you know, I covered you for a long time. I think you were 29 years old when you were running for the Santa Barbara City Council. And uh, I remember my coverage back then. You were there to shake up City Hall, and uh, you certainly uh, did that. Um, you know, even back then and today, it's pretty much like one dominant issue. And we're talking about housing. Okay. I remember you talking back then about the importance of building housing, housing for the middle income, housing for people to be able to live where they work. And uh, here we are, it's 2021 and we're talking about housing. So I just want to kind of start there, right? Like, let me ask you, where are you at these days? How much progress have we made? What have we need to do? There's some bills in the state legislature, um, <clears throat> housing density uh, here on Santa Barbara South Coast. What are some of the ideas that, that you have in terms of building enough housing for everybody? Well, I think, first of all, um, most people who are in the rental market know uh, how uh, tough of a road we have. But let me give you just a basic s statistic. The, the housing sale price in the South Coast has gone up 83% in one year. So for those of us that have a house, we could view that as great news because our asset is worth more. But let me think of, about it or let me ask your viewers to think about it through the perspective of what about your children? What about your grandchildren? Um, what if you ever hope to trade up from that little um, uh, small condo that you live in now? Um, what this represents is an existential threat to young families and to people of color in particular. And I would say it's a threat to the whole community. Um, my, my basic thought is that I, like other Santa Barbara elected officials, I, I love to preserve the feel of Santa Barbara. But can you preserve the feel of Santa Barbara when you're exiling all of the people of Santa Barbara and replacing them with independently wealthy people buying second homes? And I, to me, the answer is you cannot. You lose the feel of Santa Barbara without generational continuity, without the community that only arises from having multiple generations uh, living in, in the same place. Yeah, when we talk about keeping Santa Barbara, uh, it's, you know, quaint and keeping its charm and keeping the reasons why people want to live here. So often that conversation is in the context of buildings and views and not often enough is it in the context of of people i mean you and i both grew up here on the south coast how many of your friends left could not afford it's like if your parents did not own a home it's very likely that you are living somewhere else in 
Oregon or Washington or, you know, Ventura County, Ox, you know, any number of places, you know, so we, we've seen that, you know, we're, we're among the few who've been able to, to stay, you know, my parents didn't own a home, you know, like it was, you know, I could very easily not be here. Um, so in terms of, of housing policies, okay, what, what are we doing right? What, what can we be doing differently to sort of advance this to make more options available? Well, I think first of all, what we're doing right is the city, uh, the city zoning has changed a lot in the last 15 years. Um, that was started by the council that I was on um, at the city council, and it's been continued um, under Mayor Murillo's leadership. The, the uh, things that have been put in place allows rental housing essentially to be um, possible in Santa Barbara. And you are seeing a decent amount of units in the pipeline in Santa Barbara. Uh, unfortunately, you are not seeing that elsewhere. And so I do think that uh, it's appropriate for the county to step up in housing production. Uh, this last Tuesday, when we're discussing the use of ARPA funds, um, the, the Board of Supervisors discussed a total of $13 million for, for housing. Um, that, that would be $7 million for um, transitional housing for homelessness and $6 million for uh, more middle income breadth of housing needs. That sounds like a lot of money, um, but it's, it, it's just barely what's needed to get started. Um, if we want to really get serious about this, it's going to be a real commitment. It's going to have to be a commitment from the private sector. It's going to have to be a commitment from government to allow permitting and zoning in a way to, uh, to produce housing. And I'm not one of these people that thinks that all housing is good. Um, we have had enough luxury housing. Um, as a community. We have plenty of that. Um, but we do need uh, housing that's accessible for middle incomes and accessible for lower to middle incomes. We, we don't have nearly enough of that. And if we're ever going to solve homelessness, we've got to produce permanent supportive housing in this community. Yeah, you know, sometimes I'm covering the city council on a Tuesday and I'm wishing Doss Williams was still there because you have these sort of forward thinking, long range sort of views on housing. And um, what do you think of what's going on downtown? Um, there's talk of 60 feet uh, to accommodate downtown living. It also infuses a population into the downtown area. People can park in the city lots, you know, minimizing parking. What do you think of that whole conversation? If, if you were a specific decision maker on the city council or just your views, um, what kind of housing efforts should we be making in the downtown core? Well, I, I think it's a really exciting conversation. Uh, and, you know, uh, I would say that I, like most Santa Barbans, don't want every building to be uh, really tall. But if you don't like 60-foot buildings, then what, you don't like the Arlington and the Granada? Uh, I mean, like our best and the Canary, right? I mean, our best are over the four uh, story height limit. And so I, I do think that uh, it behooves us to not um, be entrenched in our orthodoxy, um, that if a meritorious project comes along uh, to have an open mind and allow people to come forward. If the project's terrible, then don't approve it. But, but uh, you know, uh, let's give it, give things, good ideas a shot. 
And I think the bottom line is if we want downtown to succeed, we've got to be willing to do some new things. Um, I, you know, it is, it needs help down there. Um, but I'm really confident. I'm really excited. The council is, I think, the most pro-housing council that I've, I've seen in 30 or 40 years, maybe longer. Uh, and so uh, it's, if, if, if the right thing will, will be done, it will be done by this current council. Yeah. And I'm, I know you've been downtown and, you know, we just came out of this pandemic. We're, we're almost about ready to open up fully again. Um, you see all the restaurants, the outdoor dining, the, the street furniture, the e-bikes. Um, there's a lot going on down there. Um, you know, as a local kid, is this the State Street you, you envisioned? Is it a work in progress? Uh, what ideas do you have to make that more sustainable? Yeah, I would say it's, it's, um, it's exciting because it's much more uh, closer to what I envisioned uh, than I ever could have ha- thought possible. Um, because a lot of us thought that uh, State Street needed to have uh, some closure to create the prosperity and the walking feel of a downtown. Uh, but back when I was on the council, the politics wasn't there. You know, yeah. too many business owners were against it. At this point, uh, business owners, it was their lifeline. Uh, and so I think this has flipped where before it was the business owners against the idea. Now it's business owners part of the movement for change. And, um, you know, look, uh, there, there could have been a little bit more uh, forethought in some of the parklets, um, but some of them are great and uh, they can get better over years. Uh, and if you walk downtown, there, there are people, there is yeah. activity. Uh, and even in the, the, the worst times of the pandemic, there was activity uh, and that has kept businesses alive. Uh, and kept people's jobs alive. And, and you know, I, I know um, that that's important. You know, uh, people have to uh, admit that um, people having decent paying jobs uh, matters uh, because we have a lot of people out there who have struggled uh, through the pandemic, them and their kids, to be able to survive, be able to get an education and, and have, a, have an income. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about your, your, your real day job, Santa Barbara County Board of Supervisors. Uh, we're going through the budget hearings and, uh, you know, massive budget, right? So much that you're responsible for. Can you talk a little bit about what are some of the highlights? What are some of the issues that are coming out of this budget? Both the, you know, the good, the bad, the sacrifices, the decisions you all are making? Well, there's a lot exciting um, because, uh, most local governments are really struggling financially right now um, in the last year during COVID. We have not uh, because of uh, two factors. Uh, number one, uh, because of the cannabis tax. And that, uh, that upsurge of revenue has more than made up for uh, some of our losses. Um, and then uh, on top of that, we have the opportunities of the uh, President Biden's uh, recovery package. Um, that w- does allow us to in- make some important investments. So we are making more of an investment in public health than ever before. Uh, you know, if we don't learn from the fact that public health in general had been sort of uh, 
starved for many, many years and it affected how good of a response to the COVID pandemic. We shouldn't lose that lesson. Our public health department, I think, performed admirably. Um, Von, Von Del Reynoso is an innovative leader and a great leader of our public health department. But if we had had more of the infrastructure in place, if the state and the federal government had had more infrastructure in place, the response would have been better. Um, and so uh, we, we are making an investment in, in public health. Um, the, we are also making a real investment in diversion programs. Um, we uh, recognize that uh, the largest growing part of the general fund budget uh, is, is the jail. Um, and uh, that's, that may be necessary. I think it was necessary to build a North County jail, uh, a modern facility um, where we can humanely and uh, effectively supervise uh, people in jail. But it, it's a dead end uh, from a fiscal standpoint, meaning we can never win um, uh, blocking everybody away. Yeah. You don't, you, we don't have enough money and you don't have enough money for us to tax you enough for that solution. Uh, the solution has to be that people that um, are redeemable um, and that we can find more effective ways um, of uh, than, than having them sit in jail. Um, we need to avail us of ourselves of the, that opportunity. And so um, we're making a much bigger investment through probate, the probation department's um, diversion efforts. Um, uh, we're, we're working with the DA to try to get an, a larger uh, diversion effort going. Uh, and uh, it's, it's very much um, thanks to uh, the public defender being willing to stir things up. Um, uh, she's, uh, she's taken my old shtick for now, um, but it's also been because the board of supervisors has definitely been willing to try to bring all the public safety players together uh, to make some movement. We even this week had a presentation from the sheriff uh, that demonstrated the cost savings and overtime that could be achieved um, if we keep jail population low. Uh, and he is basically saying, while I don't wanna uh, close any parts of the current main jail permanently, uh, we could close wings temporarily and thereby avoid some overtime costs. And that's really important. Um, you know, we had a big, big argument about how to budget those savings. Um, uh, but, but the good thing is we didn't have an argument about what course of action we should take. Um, we do need to save some money uh, by, you know, closing wings that we don't need if jail population stays low. Yeah. But we have a lot of work to make that happen. What do you say to people who have concerns about diversion programs, you know, on the state level, you know, you hear of early release of, of felons in communities and what that means for crime. Um, you know, you, we do have cases, you know, that we read about of people released from jail and reoffend very quickly. Uh, there's a lot of people in the community who, who don't necessarily believe that that's the, the best approach. So can you talk about from a policy, a fiscal standpoint, a humanitarian standpoint, uh, you know, wh why is it important to focus on, on diversion as opposed to uh, just, you know, criminalization? Well, I think the reason is um, that uh, the, the cost to society of um, 
incarceration as your primary strategy is more than our society wants, or in my view, should bear. Um, you know, the in the 90s, the pendulum swang, swung way too hard towards lock them up, all up. And we were putting people in jail for a third offense, um, stole a pizza or re- re- relatively minor property crimes. People were going to jail for life, for that, stuff, that kind of thing. And I'm really glad we're not in that situation anymore. Uh, I'm not anxious to go to the exact opposite side of, of, of things. I, I'm not, that's not my agenda. My agenda is to say, look, some of these people um, can have a chance at reintegration in society. Some of these offenses are minor enough. Before COVID, we still had a lot of drug offenses in, in the main jail. We, um, we, we still had folks, folks that in most people would go, is that the right place for them? Homeless individuals, people with mental health issues, warehousing these people in a jail is not the best way to deal with them, either from a fiscal standpoint or um, from a perspective of these are human lives um, that, you know, we shouldn't throw them away permanently. Um, and uh, especially not if we have another rap from. Uh, but I'm not one of those people that believes that everybody is redeemable either. There's a reason why we have a jail. There's a reason why we have criminal justice. I believe in judicial discretion in those uh, cases, but I also want the system to work faster because the primary reason why we had a high jail population before COVID was not because judges were deciding to send everyone away. It was because 70% of the people there were awaiting trial. 70% of the people there had never been convicted, had not been convicted of anything. Um, They were just there awaiting trial. So we need a system that works faster, works better. um, One that can provide accountability for people who deserve it. And ones who can provide a second chance uh, for those who deserve it or who can try to do it. Now, the consequence of that is I don't, I do not believe is more violent crime. Um, the statistics do not agree with that. Some people make anecdotal cases for that, but the statistics do not agree with that. The statistics do agree with that there is a consequence in rising property crime. But personally, I'd rather have some of my tools stolen off my driveway than pay the taxes necessary to doom these people for to a, a perpetuity in our a jail system. Um, you know, look, people who have had a, a, a drug crime, um, uh, many of them are possible to get out of drugs. Some of them are also possible to relapse and be the ones who steal some tools off your doorstep. Um, but uh, I'm personally believe that that is an important move to make for our future. Uh, I can tell you this, the, the county budget is not sustainable if we keep on raising jail funding, the amount that we have raised it in the past five, seven years. It is totally unsustainable. So we got to do something about it. Let me ask you about um, some environmental issues. Let's start with community choice energy. Uh, I think we're going to be making that transition. So I'm probably not going to do this perfectly, but you'll clean it up. Uh, People have the option 
Well, actually, I think they'll be automatically transferred over, but they have the option to opt out. Um, there's there are tiers of, of uh, electricity service, and uh, you can start with a tier that is the same price as Edison, where you can use uh, energy that is uh, fewer carbon emissions and pay a little bit more. And so this is significant for, for the South Coast, for the county. So can you talk about uh, why are we doing this and why does it yeah. matter? Well, it's a quiet revolution is happening out there. Yeah. Um, Santa Barbara County has been for the past over a year um, been a part of the political governing of uh, the largest community choice aggregator geographically in the state. Um, it used to be known as Monterey Bay Community Power. It is now called um, uh, 3CE. Um, and uh, I am uh, the county, for the whole county, the representative on their executive board. It's a, a seven or nine, nine member executive board. Um, and uh, we make recommendations to the full policy board, which is about a 40 member board um, that includes a representative from Goldita and Carpinteria, a representative from Santa Maria, a representative from the small cities. So all Northern California has already made, or Northern Santa Barbara County has already made the transition um, earlier this year. Southern uh, Santa Barbara County will make that uh, transition this fall. Uh, and that means everybody except for the city of Santa Barbara, the city of Santa Barbara is going uh, to join a community choice aggregator, but it's a different one than the rest of us is. Uh, and we'll take a little bit longer. Uh, the reason why we're doing it is so that we can achieve uh, carbon-free goals um, and lower greenhouse gas emissions faster than under the utilities. That is the primary reason. The other uh, reason is so that we can make some of the decisions locally. Um, you know, uh, uh, things haven't, you know, worked out to, to the public satisfaction with the utilities on various issues. Um, and uh, we think that at least controlling um, what energy is purchased and therefore what programs can be offered from those rates um, is really important. So we're gonna be and have been using that money uh, to help people through you know, COVID, right? Um, there was pretty decent uh, rebates that 3CE made to customers during COVID uh, because of how many people were having a hard time paying their bills. Um, we've been using that money to uh, promote electrification, um, more um, electric charging st uh, stations. Um, we've also been using it to help promote energy storage and resilience. Uh, because as you know, we're at the end of the pipe on both ends and uh, therefore are more um, vulnerable uh, to power outages because there's not a whole lot of locally based energy. Uh, and of course, that's my eventual goal through this is to help promote, promote more locally based renewables, not just um, renewables outside of the area, which I'm happy about, uh, but locally based renewables as well. Yeah. Well, you've always been a true blue environmentalist. I mean, that was your thing when you started. Um, uh, you're, you live it. You, you know, I, you're the kind of guy who doesn't really, at least I've seen, drink bottled water. You'll drink, you know, a cup. You know, you'll drink the water out of there. 
Yeah, you know, you drive electric cars. Uh, your carbon footprint from my days of hanging with you at Santa Barbara City Hall um, and other places where I've covered you or worked with you, uh, your carbon footprint's really small, you know? So you really you really do make an effort to live that as opposed to, you know, a lot of elected officials, we won't name names, they say it and, you know, and then they do something different when they maybe drive around town or something like that. Um, can you just talk a little bit about you, the environmentalist? And, and I mean, that I will argue against anybody who tries to say Doss Williams is not a true blue environmentalist like that. You can't make you can make other arguments. You can't make that argument again. <laughs> Can you talk well, a little bit about? <laughs> well, you... I, I think I think every day mm-hmm. we make moral decisions about what kind of world we want to live in. Um, we make it with every dollar that we spend, right? Um, and and whether or not we whether or not you're voting consciously or unconsciously, you're voting with that dollar. Um, and and so I think it's really important for the county and for me personally uh, to show, show an example. Um, uh, and, you know, um, I feel like that's part of the societal change. And I think the worst, you know, lie that's ever been told is that your individual actions won't make a difference. Unfortunately, I would say both oil companies and most environmental groups either de-emphasized or didn't believe that people, for instance, could drive less, right? You know, they just accepted that people are just going to drive more. And so um, that was part of their own narrative, right? And uh, instead of blaming ourselves for some of our environmental groups or some of our environmental problems, a lot of groups just wanted to blame oil companies or Donald Trump. It's us. We make those decisions and um, we can make different decisions and covid showed us that we can actually drive less. Um, at the time, it was because we didn't have much to do, right? Yeah. Uh, but we can make that decision. We are not shackled um, to a system that requires us uh, to drive more. Um, and, and in California, that is the largest driver of greenhouse gas emissions and the biggest destructor of our environment. Yeah. So, um I hope that we as a society can make that change. And I think the last year showed that we should, we sure can, if we want to. And are, do you still buy your clothes at the thrift store, your ties, your shirts, I, I mean, this your jackets? From, this is from St. Joseph's uh, thrift <laughs> store in Carpinteria. Yeah. Um, uh, I, 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 I do. I mean, I occasionally I'll splurge for the, uh, you know, American or Canadian made real nice thing uh, that lasts a long time, brand new, but most of my stuff is, is secondhand, shall we say, you know, um, uh, and, and I, I would say that that's a great example. At this point, almost all textiles that are manufactured in China, and they have a huge percentage of the market share um, worldwide, um, part of that supply chain is going through what basically amounts to slave labor camps in uh, the Uyghur population in the west of the country. And um, personally, I don't want to use my dollar to support uh, slave labor in China. Um, I don't want to use my dollar to support, uh, you know, um, unfair working conditions for textile workers in Pakistan or, or even Indonesia. 
um, where, 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 where my family comes from. So I don't want to buy that stuff. Right. Um, uh, I know that if, if the label says Turkey or Israel or uh, Canada or Europe, that that's going to workers that get a decent share of the, of the price of the textile. And so that's where I'm going to make my, make my purchases. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Doss, about was um, the Coastal Commission appointment. Um, obviously, that got some attention, and uh, it didn't turn out your way. You were you were interested. Uh, what's your reaction to that? And you know, from your perspective, sort of what, what went wrong with with that appointment process? Well, uh, you know, first of all, I look at the things that you can vote on at the Coastal Commission. So much has. Uh, importance to Santa Barbara County and the pres preservation of the coast up and down uh, the state uh, that I thought it would be pretty fun. That being said, it's a lot of work. Um, so having a close ally like Megan get the appointment uh, honestly may be better for me uh, than me getting the appointment. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm I definitely realize that it's a choice of good things and good endings, and I'm good with it. Um, first of all, because I think it reflects on uh, Megan being articulate, uh, smart, um, and an up-and-comer, and somebody I want to see do great things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that's, uh, you know, part of it. The other part of it is, you know, hey, you don't uh, change the world, um, uh, you know, without making some enemies, um, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, that's maybe a paraphrase of a Churchill quote, something like that. You know, if you can, if you can have somebody um, find yourself uh, without enemies, then you've found yourself not having done anything in the world, yeah. <laughs> so or something to that effect, you know. Um, and uh, uh, but. Um, it was more some folks uh, that have influence in Sacramento, not not so much uh, local folks as was reported in the press. Yeah, I feel like it's really a discredit to Megan Harmon's credentials and her yeah. experience. What's I mean, with that? I mean, like the first thing that people say is, you know, it must be because uh, some local crazy people decided to, to, to do a letter against me, it, totally discounting. Megan's qualifications or what she might have to offer, including yeah. her law degree, um, you know, uh, you know, so I guess that I don't, I don't, that kind of rubs me raw in the, just in the reporting of it, but, yeah. but man, uh, Megan's awesome. I, I think she's going to do great. You guys are similar in that you both were labeled at this stage of your career as being young and in a hurry and ambitious. And, um, you know, it is, it is what it is, but um, I don't know that a letter writing campaign sunk you, you know, it's how about she appealed to people in a way that they felt like she'd be a good fit for that and leave it at that, you know, but a lot of people want to dance in the end zone, you know, and sort of take right. claim. Uh, for that. That's okay. If, 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 if some of my enemies can have a, a, a bright day for one day, uh, 
I'll get, I'll give it to them. Uh, they might, might get used to not having a whole lot more. Uh, let me ask you about politics. Uh, mayor's race. I'm sort of intrigued by the mayor's race. We got Kathy Maria running uh, and your former employee, um, James Joyce, who used to work for you when you were in the assembly, Randy Rouse, uh, who replaced you on the Santa Barbara city council and uh, Deborah Schwartz, who I'm sure, you know, you know really well, uh, you're endorsing Kathy Murillo. You're supporting her. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, why she's the best fit for that? And you, you, keep in mind, the late, great Hal Conklin, you supported him when he ran for mayor. So, That's right. So, so talk to me a little about why Kathy is the one. Yeah, I, I, I can't hear uh, Hal's name without thinking about him for, for a moment. Um, he's He really showed us um, a lot of the dedication and vision you can have uh, and can make a difference on a city council. Um, you know, that being said, I know all of the players. I know them all real well. Um, uh, they're, you know, all good folks. Uh, but I think Kathy has done a good job as mayor. Um, I think most of the things that people have uh, that they don't like are more um, issues that they have with a, a, a weak mayor system which is what we have uh, instead of issues particular to Kathy. I think people um, that are kind of, you know, dissatisfied, they fundamentally want a strong mayor system where this, the mayor is the executive and can decide this is what we're going to do. Our system isn't that. The mayor is a first among equals on the city council and, uh, She's got to, you know, um, convince the city manager, like any other um, uh, council member, to see things their way, their way. And, you know, anybody who's worked in a city manager form of government, i.e. The, the weak mayor system, knows that the executive is the city administrator. And, uh, you know, uh, a, a council that's very forceful and very decisive can get things done. And I think, uh, you know, um, that's happening more and more. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it's Kathy, you know, in the, in the Santa, Mar Santa Barbara context, you know, uh, Kathy is one of the council. She may be the council members that is, has the highest profile because she has this name called mayor, um, but she's one of the council and is doing a good job, especially on things like that are kind of important for Santa Barbara, like homelessness, right? Um, uh, she's had the willingness to try new things uh, that's gonna allow us to make some traction. Um, you know, uh, without uh, Kathy's cooperation, we wouldn't be getting a, um, uh, you know, a tiny homes project going on Garden Street um, with the kind of speed that we are. Uh, it's a partnership between the county and a nonprofit called Dignity Moves, mm. but it is Kathy's support that's helping us get through uh, the, the city um, in a rapid fashion so we can hope to make a difference with this. And um, it won't stop there. Uh, both the city and county um, as a partnership wants to do more temporary housing and more permanent supportive housing because we know the camps are not a good solution um, uh, and we need to change that. And the only way we can change that is with, is with permanent supportive housing and temporary housing. 
that's you know in step with our aesthetic and our um, humanitarian standards. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm going to uh, throw out a last question here, and and it's a little bit of a softball. You know, I'll just preface it, but but not really. Okay, um, you've been very polarizing your career like people who love you worship you right you know this you know Doss is great you know he's incredible he does so many amazing things and then you've always had this faction of people who are skeptical of you we've talked about this over the years what is he really after how can he be everything to everyone so in the last couple of years this has taken on sort of even a heightened sort of polarization uh, Obviously, cannabis, you know, you, this is something that you've been labeled with is, you know, the cannabis guy and, and, you know, you sold, you know, allegedly you sold out, you know, the industry. Um, but look what we have to live with this odor. Okay. And, and so that stuck with you. You got reelected. You beat that. Um, you know, there were those LA Times articles, those emails, like you got some really bad sort of press there and some attention. Um and, and then you run for Coastal Commission, and again, it comes back. All your haters are out there. Um, I think it's interesting because I think people really beat up on you in a way that they don't other elected officials. And um, no one's perfect, obviously. Um, you know, you, you've made mistakes. You've acknowledged them. You've moved on. How do you feel right now to be like Doss Williams as a 46-year-old guy who who grew up in this community, who, who, you know, we've told, I've told the story. You grew up poor in Isla Vista. You were homeless for a while at City College. You went to City College, Dr. Eskandari, Dr. K, Berkeley, you turned it around. You know, here you are, you're in this community. You get married, you got a family. We've seen your evolution. We've, how do you deal with sort of this, this thing that still kind of hangs over you that, oh, you know, he's, he's the cannabis guy or he's the guy who only cares about his career. Can you just talk for a second about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, having people hate you in that kind of way, even to the point where they're willing to tell lies about you um, and somehow they're willing to process that as being, I don't know, for some kind of greater good. Um, that obviously bothers me, you know, it, it, it uh, it's, you know, that, that, that sucks. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, for, for me, I made those decisions because I thought they were the right thing. Um, I, I think that, the, you know, um, there has been a lot of marijuana here for a long time. It was just all black market marijuana that was costing us money through law enforcement resources and hurting the earth and hurting our people um, and wasn't creating a benefit. And now we turned around into a, a legal industry that has a concrete benefit. And um, frankly, I look at those 5,000 people that are directly employed by the industry that are making an average wage that's higher than the average wage in government. And this is in a, an industry that's involves a lot of farm workers. Um, and I go, you know, I'm, my values are supportive of workers. I'm supportive of medicine. I'm, I'm supportive of, uh, of the environment, of having a, a crop that uses no pesticides instead of the crops that were before. That was a lot of pesticides. 
Um, it's hard to back up your pretensions and your values with hard decisions, especially ones that change things that much. Um, you know, it's, it's much easier to just say, this is the way things should be without taking any concrete actions because people will praise you and your, your enemies won't come for you. Well, my enemies came for me and I'm still alive. I'm still doing good. Um, and I'll keep on doing good. Um, that's, that's my plan. Uh, and, and I guess I, um, you know, from that, the gray hair, uh, and the battle scars, I'm no longer the, the young Turk. Um, maybe I'm, I'm starting to be the elder statesman. Um, but I'm going to keep on doing good. I'm going to keep on doing what I think is right. I'm going to keep on fighting for the environment. I'm going to keep on fighting that working people can survive in this place. And you can't talk about fighting for working people all your political career. And then um, when you have a chance to make a difference for 5,000 workers, not consider that maybe that's a good idea. Yeah, and you know, and I'll say, you know, obviously, full disclosure, I worked for the California State Assembly in your office for a couple of years. Uh, when the Daily Sound folded overnight, you um, offered me a job. You know, you, you, you know, you said, Josh, you're a good journalist. I've seen your work. Come do PR for me. You know, and and so you didn't have to do that, but that's something that you did because uh, you're trying to help somebody. You know, in the in the community. And uh, it didn't work out. I love journalism more than I love PR, you know, and, and you know, but, you know, one of the things that, that, that just bothers me is that people, people new into town, sort of like see you in this little bubble, right? And it's like, well, you got to go back the whole way. I mean, this is a guy who was arguing for a living wage back in 2003. This is a guy who was living what he was saying from day one. So you can sort of castigate him for the cannabis thing. But um, there's so much more to a person, you know, nobody's, you know, and even I was saying, you know, obviously you're not perfect and we've disagreed on a lot of stuff over the years and that's okay. But that doesn't mean you demonize people, right? You know, and you've put in the, and the work. Great, and the great thing is, Josh, you know, when I was going door to door in Carpinteria, um, I won the precincts, even the ones that are right next to cannabis, like my mm -hmm. neighborhood, I'm, I'm, I'm three and a half blocks from the biggest operation in the Carpinteria Valley. And, uh, you know, some people still have issues and they really communicated to me, though, mostly the reasonableness of their issues, that they wanted odor to get better. They wanted to, the rules to be enforced. And, um, you know, uh, there's, the county is right now um, uh, in, you know, essentially litigation with two operators in the Carpinteria Valley. But on the other hand, we've permitted, uh, you know, some folks who are doing good things and have made some compromises with their operations with, with neighbors. So I think things are getting better slowly. Um, people are starting to learn to live together slowly. Um, and uh, it's going to be for the better. Um, and obviously for those 5,000 workers, uh, and for the businesses that are surviving in Carpinteria because there was a replacement to the flower industry that was dying, um, it's already made a big difference. Do you think about the next cycle, the next supervisors run, and whether they're going to come back at you again? Does that keep you up at night, or how do you? What do you think about? 
Well, there's a couple people there that um, uh, would, they, they, they wouldn't come around to me if I could heal the sick, you know, uh, they're going to, they're going to be against whatever I'm for. And I'm just, I just know that. Um, but uh, I, I'm proud of the times that I've been able to turn around people who um, were my enemies before, uh, you know, over the years, uh, I think I've earned a lot of respect of folks who are more middle of the road, even conservative uh, uh, on the basis of standing my principles, even when they're different principles than the ones they espouse. And uh, I'm going to stay consistent. Um, and sometimes that's going to piss people off. Yeah, well, people could have ever seen the, the, the skate kid in Isla Vista back in the day when he was, you know, they'd be like, wow, what an amazing story. Doss Williams is down there county supervisor you know no one would have predicted that but thanks a lot for your time Doss Williams appreciate it and um, um, we'll talk soon take care great thank you so much